This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Bad Priest. Episode 9, Blackmail. No blood this time. Same hangover. No, not the same. Worse. My nose is so raw that it feels as if I've been snorting asbestos and not the cocaine that Davy Scump had so graciously gifted me back at Denise's. What the fuck did I do this time? I pose the question rhetorically, but I kind of want Mirzoth to answer me. Unfortunately, like after the last time he took over my body, the only thing inside my head is a hive full of bees. I don't know where I am, other than in bed. A very large bed. What's larger than a king-sized bed? A double king? I don't know, but if that exists, then that's what I'm in. It's definitely not my bed. I've never seen it before. What the hell? And, based on the arm that just inadvertently slaps my bare chest, I'm not in this bed alone. I scrambled to my feet, nearly tripping over the sheets that are wrapped around my waist. When they unravel, the news gets worse. I realize that I'm completely naked. So, if anybody's taking notes, to this point, we don't have blood. That's a plus. But we're in a stranger's bed, minus, and they're in it as well, double minus. Sounds like 100% dorm room regrets, if you ask me. And it's about to get a lot worse. The arm that slapped me belongs to a clean-shaven man with a baby face. He's alive, plus, but he's looking at me expectantly, coquettishly even, minus. Oh, come back to bed, honey. I see the girl next. She's also in bed, and her blonde hair is spread out over the pillow. Unlike the man, her eyes are firmly closed, but she's breathing softly. Mirzoth, what did you do? I feel around my body for any sort of injury, but I don't find anything major. There is some dried blood in my left nostril, but none in around my, uh, sensitive bits. The man gestures towards me, and I take a step back and investigate the rest of the room. There are bottles of booze everywhere, everything from a smattering of empty beer bottles to tequila and, of course, Johnny Red. I could still taste it, along with something else I'd rather not think about. Mirzoth, what the fuck did you do this time? My clothes are in a ball in the corner of the room, and I quickly scoop them up. I stare at the man, and without taking my eyes off of him, I slip my underwear on and then my jeans. The only time I break eye contact is when I put on my sweatshirt. I just want to be out of here. I just want to go home. I want to go home, bless the goddamn toilet seat, and exercise Mirzoth into it. Oh, fine. I'll see you in a week then. I shake my head. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm shocked. The inside of the apartment, including the massive bed, was messy, but it was also chic and modern. The outside couldn't be more different. In fact, 
for a split second. I think I'm back in hell. The sky above me is hot and arid, and the ground mostly just dirt. The houses, even the one I just stepped out of, were broken down, dilapidated. Where did you bring me, Mirzoth? The last thing I remember is leaving Father McCutcheon's church and heading to the bar across the street. And now I'm here, in the middle of nowhere. And Diego's car, it's not here either. Shit, Diego! I have no idea how long Murzoth was in control of my body. Based on what happened last time, it could be upwards of an entire night. Was it tomorrow? I'm new to this being possessed thing, but if it was the next day or the day after that, Diego was going to be in a whole lot of hurt. Where is your car? I look up and down the street, but the only car I could see doesn't have doors or wheels. Sweat is already forming on my brow, and I can feel my body start to shake as my hangover truly takes hold. For some reason, my mind turns back to my time in the clink. I never thought I'd be one of those guys who needed the structure of prison. Even after eight years, I never lost my longing for freedom. But I also never expected to be possessed by a demon, to murder a man with my bare hands, tear out his organs and eat them, or have an orgy with two people I never met before while high on cocaine and alcohol. Lots of potential first there. To be fair, all of these super fun experiences are also available in prison. But if they happened on the inside, at least I'd remember the good parts. I'll tell you where your car is if you promise not to exercise me. And there he is. Mirzoth is back. I think about the demon's words, and then I think about Diego. I don't have AC, and my room can get as hot as 110 with the windows closed. Fuck. You've probably heard about the dangers of making a deal with the devil, but sometimes it's the only option you've got. Okay, deal. Again, Mirzoth falls silent, and I start to walk. Not because I know where to go, but because I want to put my distance between myself and this place. You can't lie. You're a priest. A hint of a smile appears on my lips. Sure, just like cops can't lie to suspects. I'm not lying. You tell me where the car is, and I promise not to exercise you. An image suddenly appears in my mind. It's so clear, so real, that it's disorienting. It's very much like what happened when I walked up to the police officer in the alley and saw the bloody body on the ground. This is both less visceral and less morbid, but it has the same eerie quality to it, with a slight vignette and a pinkish hue. There's also the pulsing heartbeat, mine or Murzoth's, maybe both. In this vision, I clearly see Diego's yellow car, and then it fast forwards and I'm walking toward the place I just left. It's not far, maybe 50 feet to the right and then down an alley. I pick up the pace, but when I turn the first corner, I stop. I recognize this street. My eyes narrow and I scan my surroundings. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. This is the exact street. And then I see her. This can't possibly be a coincidence. Murzoth had to set it all up. The real question wasn't how, even though the timing couldn't be more perfect, but why? Why did he bring me back here to see her? The girl notices me, but keeps her head down and keeps on walking. Hey! I wave my arm, but the girl tightens her hands on her backpack straps and does it slow. If anything, she speeds up a little. 
Hey, it's me, Father Bannon. This gets her to stop, and she slowly turns to look at me. It is the same girl. She's less sweaty, and her skin is cleared up, but it's her, no doubt about it. It's hard to believe that just a few days ago she was lying naked on a mattress. Am I too old for you, Father? Is that, that why you don't want to look at my pussy? Or maybe it's because I don't have a dick for you to stare at, you child molesting faggot? <laughs> how... how are you doing? I cringe. This is Diego's job, the follow-up. But as I stare at the girl who looks completely normal, if a little skittish, I can't help but think that what I did, what we did, was a good thing. And no matter how much I hate having Murzoth inside my head, I'm glad that this girl is saved. Is he... is he in you now? Like when Diego asked me if the exorcism had been a success, I'm not really sure how to answer. She just seems so pure and innocent, however, that I flip the script and tell her the truth for once. Yes. Murzoth? It's strange to hear someone else say that name, but it reaffirms the notion that I haven't gone completely mad. Partway, sure, but not all the way insane. Not yet. Yes. The girl looks down. I'm... I'm sorry. What? No, you have nothing to be sorry about. This isn't your fault. It's nobody's fault. The girl nods, but it's a labored gesture, and I can feel her pain. If being possessed by a demon is confusing to me, a man supposedly of the cloth who has spent eight years behind bars, I can't even begin to consider what it must have been like for her. I reach out, ready to embrace her, to comfort her, but then I see it and stop. On her wrist, there are three pink lines. The Devil's Trident. I saw them before, of course, but now they're faded and barely visible. My hesitation spooks the girl. She probably thinks that Murzoth has taken control. Her eyes go wide and she starts to run. Wait! Wait! But she doesn't wait, and I don't chase her. I just watch her go. I have so many questions for the girl, but I have the sneaking suspicion that they'll never be answered. Fuck. I can always go back inside of her, if you want. She's warm. Shut the fuck up. I find the car a few minutes later. It still has its doors and wheels, and I find the keys in my pocket. As I start the vehicle, I think of my promise to Murzoth. Looks like he doesn't know me that well after all. I'm a priest, practically a professional liar. And when I get back to my apartment and free Diego, I'm going to... You sure you want me to record this? I look at the thick line of cocaine on the mirror. A fully engorged albino caterpillar. And I smile. I'm sure. Get it all on video. I wait for the red light on the camera to turn on. And then I take a long haul from the bottle of Johnny Red. It burns in the best possible way but it's not nearly as good as the line of cocaine. I snort the entire thing, then close my eyes and lean back as the drug begins to do its work. After a prolonged shudder of pure pleasure, I open my eyes and look at the man. He's shirtless, and after I remove my own top, he stops recording. No, keep going, keep going. I want you to document everything. I lean close and whisper in his ear. You're going to keep this video. And if I don't come back in a week and say the word we talked about earlier, I want you to send it to one person. My parole officer. You can't lie because you're a priest. <laughs> I'm not that stupid, Cole. 
You try anything, any sort of exorcism on me, and you're going back to jail. <laughs> Looks like we're going to be stuck together a little while longer. I should have expected as much. This Murzoth is smarter than he looks. As I grip the steering wheel, my eyes naturally gravitate toward my left wrist. My sleeve teases up a little, and I stare in horror at what lies beneath. The girl had the mark of being possessed, the three lines representing the trident outside Satan's spire. But they were faded, nearly gone, much lighter than when I first saw her on the mattress. But the lines on my wrist, they're so dark they look like they're full of blood, and they're pulsating. As I stare, hypnotized by these scars, I'm taken back to another time. And for once, Mirzoth has nothing to do with it. I'm back at Amy's house, forcing my way inside and upstairs. Flies are buzzing around me, and I see the girl's terrified face. And then her father is pounding at the door. When I slash at him with the knife, I see those same three red marks on his wrist. I didn't know what they meant then, and even if I had, I probably wouldn't have believed it. But I do now, and I do believe. I run my fingers over the marks on my skin. They're surprisingly soft, but when I pull my hand back, I'm horrified to see that they're moving. Twitching and undulating, like satiated worms wriggling to facilitate the digestion of a recent meal. Oh, don't stop. That feels good. I promised that I wouldn't exercise Murzoth, but I never said anything about the piece of shit that locked Amy in a room and made her relieve herself in a bucket. The cop who was her father. The cop who also put me behind bars. If seeing the girl on the road, healthy, safe, skittish but unpossessed made me feel good, sending the demon that was inside of the cop that put me behind bars was going to be orgasmic. Ooh, another orgasm. I've barely recovered from last night, but count me in, Father Bannon. Count me in. This has been Bad Priest, Episode 9, a PTL Books and Pathological Inc. production. Written, produced, mixed, and narrated by Patrick Logan. Additional voice acting by Abby Logan and Ashley Logan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can also visit us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash badpriestpodcast.